This is James Holtz, uh, co-founder of Iowa Cover Crop, and we're on the Prairie Farm Podcast. Well, it was about four years ago. I had just joined Hoxie Native Seeds after graduating from college, and we do just that, Native Seeds. But one of my good friends who had started his own business said, hey, you should look into cover crops. And I, for real, laughed in that dude's face. Here we are four years later, deeply regretting my decision because uh, cover crops are one of the major conservation and soil and water um, uh, strategies that the government is using. And it's a pretty good strategy. Uh, And uh, we have no part in it currently. But one of the reasons that we are with who we are today, we are starting to sell cover crops. So if you are looking for cover crops in our area, uh, we would be happy to provide that for you. That being said, today we have the privilege, Kent and I, to be up in Jefferson City. Jefferson, Jefferson, just Jefferson. Just Jefferson. Is there a Jefferson City? In Missouri, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like an old west town. Yeah, right I mean, next to right now, isn't the that the capital of is it Missouri or is it Jefferson City, Missouri? Like, what part of Missouri uh, is Jefferson yeah, yeah, City? Yeah, yeah, I think you, I think you're right. I think it might just be Jefferson, though. Jefferson, Missouri. I love how but, you said that, though. It's like maybe in Missouri. One thing, crazy things like <laughs> Missouri, that. Missouri, yeah, yeah. Where I think once you get south of Highway 92 in Iowa, you probably start to say Missouri, Missouri, but, but up this far north, it's it's Missouri. Yeah, oh. we're in Greene County. It's um, named after Nathaniel Green, so like we have revolutionary quartermaster named after the county, and then we got oh. the you know the writer of the declaration in Jefferson. So yeah, I guess yeah. we are. That's yeah, a good this point. is this is the heart of America right here. Basically, yeah. Man, well, we are in the heart of America with uh, a great man. Oh, me? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. That's you. That's you. That's you. Oh, awkward silence. No, no. Our, our... So, yeah, my name's James Holtz, and um, like I said earlier, we I'm a co co founder of Iowa Cover Crop. We're located at Jefferson, uh, which is in West Central Iowa, and we sell cover crop and other seeds. That's kind of our main business. Uh, my business partner, Bill Frederick, today is. Uh, Scooping oats out of a bin, so he can't join me. Very good. He doesn't get to enjoy our Dutch letter and Medellin. Yeah, no. work. Sorry, no. Bill. Nope, none, none for Bill. So he's actually working today while I'm playing. So if if he doesn't listen to this, I will not tell him. If you don't save any pastries yeah. for him, if you just take him home. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> well, I probably won't. I probably I probably will take him home to my see, wife. See if he there see if go. he actually listens to it. Yep. Oh man. Well, uh, so you and and your uh, your co-founder Bill started Iowa cover crop, but, and, and most people understand what cover crop is, but just for those who don't, yep. what are we talking about? Yeah, we got really, really unique with our name. <clears throat> we were <laughs> located in Iowa and we wanted to sell cover crop seeds. So we threw it all together. I think it's genius. Um, yeah, it really is. I we thought were, you we were, were a government we were, agency at first. Yeah, yeah we were talking about that on the way over here. I was like, man, they beat the government to their own name. <laughs> yeah, we actually got like, it, it, it's worked really well because people, Google Iowa cover crop because they want to learn more about cover crop yeah. seed. Oh, sure. And then it, they make it to our website, which is, you know, like that's not the plan, but you know, we'll, we'll take it. Yeah. Uh, take a wins a win. <laughs> wins a win. So, um, what was your question? I, I forgot what your question what was. What in the world is cover crop? Oh, what are cover crops? Cover crops is a living, uh, plant in between the primary crops. That is a cover crop. Okay, mm-hmm. so primary the primary crops in Iowa. Pardon me, I got my mouth full, guys. Corn um, and soybeans. Have you ever driven on Interstate eighty? Uh, you, you probably know pretty well what we're known corn for. Corn and soybeans. <laughs> yep. And so in between there, if you harvest in October and then you're going to plant again next spring, well, you've got a lot of times bare soil. And uh, what are you going to do with that bare soil? Because they're finding that there's a lot of soil erosion. There's a lot of uh, is it wind erosion? What do they call it when the wind comes in and just yeah, like just wind erosion, wind yeah. erosion. Um, and so a solution that they came up with was a cover crop. And so what are the what are the main species that people in Iowa are using for cover crops? Uh, yeah, people in Iowa and cover crops are using cereals, which would consist of like rye, wheat, oats. Uh, then they also use brassicas, which are radishes, turnips, 
rapeseed, uh, some legumes, uh, which would clovers, uh, hairy vetch. So like all kinds of different species you can use. Sure. But the one that gets talked about the most is cereal rye, which is a cereal that is a, a grain. And uh, that's what's mostly used in cover crops in Iowa. Do you know when cover crops start becoming a thing? Oh, yeah. They probably started being a thing in like, you know, 1900. Like these, this is old, old technology we're using. Hmm. So like cover crops were really... You know, they were used a lot, you know, pre-Roundup, pre-monocultures. So, like, they were definitely used in rotations in the state. But they became a new thing in probably the 2010s Hmm. is when they really started uh, picking up steam for more environmental reasons. Sure, sure. Man, so when you guys started Iowa Cover Crop in 2014? Yep. What? What was the thought process for you guys there? Um, uh, it would be arrogant to say that we had a thought process. <laughs> uh, but Bill and I started uh, Iowa Cover Crop uh, because cover crop seed was difficult for us to obtain. And we liked the idea of it. We thought it had a future. Um, so we we started Iowa Cover Crop on just a reason to... Um, uh, just to may earn a little extra money and supply seed. Basically, we were just supplying seed to our neighbors and our family. And so, you know, it's a funny story, which I think you'll like on your podcast. But, you know, we if you own an LLC, you have to own it 50-50 with, with somebody. and But one person has to own 51% and the other person has to own 49%. So we, Bill and I kind of like to have fun. And so we... Like, how are we going to decide who gets the majority of the company? Oh, no. <laughs> so we had... Is that why you have the Nerf basketball hoop on no, the door there? <laughs> the Nerf basketball hoop is new, but we have tried to... Uh, two days ago, we had the assessor came in. They figured out that we built a building. And so we tried to <laughs> we tried to bet $1,000 uh, of, of value on a game of horse, but he wouldn't take it. <laughs> But no, we, we started the company and we were like, all right, let, 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 let's have a game of risk. So we invited um, my wife and Bill's wife, who are now employed in the business. We all went and we had a game of risk and we said, you know, first one out loses, gets 49%. And it was basically a competition between Bill and I, but the two girls uh, also played and uh, I won. So, you know, I get the majority and Bill Hey, there Bill you go. lost at risk, so he doesn't win. <laughs> so you basically said, you know, whoever's best at risk in this game is probably going to be the best at risk in, in yeah, the maybe. business. Oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah, so we started and we uh, went on Del Peterson auction and uh, bought a couple, like, 1950s clipper cleaners and cleaned some seed, uh, figured out that people did want it, and was looking for the service. So we started, uh, lining up application through a local neighbor that had a haggy and then a neighbor that an, a classmate that uh, owns an aerial application business. And so we started blowing on cover crop and, uh, that's kind of how we got started. So then we leased a cleaning facility and then it got destroyed by a tornado. And <laughs> now we're in this new warehouse in Jefferson. That's, that's the story, man. Yeah. That's great. So, so you guys say, Hey, you know, what would be a good idea? This would be a good idea. And then it turns out your good idea was a super good idea. Were you guys freaking out a little bit by the demand that there was at all? Yeah, we, we have a, a, basically our motto is we just figure it out. And so, um, there's lots, <laughs> there's, there's been lots, I mean, we, there's been lots of like that first couple of years we were cleaning with that clipper and we would have like little augers moving every direction from the clipper. And, and then we like one year we were so tight that we'd get a load in like at 5 PM and of course we didn't have lights or anything. And then we'd Bill would get his headlamp on and clean it till about midnight. And then we'd take wow. it to the airport and uh, we just figured it out. And that's been kind of our um, thing that we've figured out, but we've also learned, like we made a, uh, bunch of mistakes and like we've learned about the seed business because there isn't there isn't like a manual you can buy right right you know it's right. not like how to 
like dummy's guide to starting a cover crop business. That would be nice. Maybe I will author it because it's, uh, you know, we had to learn seed laws and we had to learn testing and we had to learn all these things um, that we didn't know before, obviously. And so it's been a pretty big learning curve of learning the seed business. And the seed business is is a well-established business. And so there's very seldom are there newcomers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. So, you know, I think just uh, as we're kind of going down the, I don't know, I guess we could say the history of cover crops here and explaining what it is, the the general information. I think a lot of people probably think, so this would be, I mean, in a community like this, I, I imagine most people are well-versed in all aspects of agriculture. But you go to like Des Moines or you go to go to a larger city, go to the Quad Cities or something, Sioux City, and start talking about cover crops. I think people are probably aware of it. But I think a lot of people probably think that a person putting cover crops in is going to harvest them that's not done right yeah the the uh the only thing that we're really harvesting is sunlight so but that uh that crop that's a good way to put that yeah i mean like sunlight and carbon yeah carbon dioxide right now it's it's february 10th and it's 50 degrees outside if you have cereal rye planted it growing Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. either roots are growing or Plants growing, it's growing today. Mm-hmm. And um, so, no, you're not harvesting for like a measurable seed, mm-hmm. but you're harvesting carbon, like you said. You're harvesting sunlight. Uh, you're, you're you know, growing a, a, a plant. But no, you aren't growing an actual product that you put into a bin or somewhere. So, right. so farmers aren't able to harvest it. Why, why in the world are they growing it? Why are they spending the money and the effort? Yeah, so they're they're spending the money and the effort because it improves uh, soil health. It uh, it has more living roots, means more microorganisms in the soil are working. It's helping erosion. It's helping uh, soil and water quality. Uh, But then there's also a lot of government incentives for um, using cover crops. So Mm. they're being incentivized through many federal programs and state programs and even private programs to be using this practice on this farm on their hmm. farms because we we tend to say that crp is is like a cousin to cover crops um to programs for cover crops and because uh, we, we've got a similar goal we've got a similar similar name that that's conservation soil and water health air quality things like that mm-hmm. um and uh i want to be really clear before we start jumping in more Kent and I are, and Hawks and Native Seeds is pro cover crop. I mean, if we're going to start selling it, it makes yeah, sense to be pro cover it's crop. It's a it's a great step. You know, one one of the things, and James could talk about this more, I'm sure. But one of the things that I think has gotten, I don't know if you could say the majority yet. Uh, maybe you would say that, but but because uh, <clears throat> you would have those numbers. But a lot of farmers thinking in a conservation-minded way if they weren't already on the bus with crp or the old uh set aside program is what it used to be called um is cover crops i mean you you see a lot of farmers using them now and uh i think that that has been wonderful like how that's how that's gone yeah now a question i do have though is before you get into that before you get into that real quick you got got another thought to finish well we're we're what you're about to hear is we're going to play a little bit of devil's advocate because we believe so much in cover crops and them being able to be used well um, for conservation. Uh, but there's a lot of people that are skeptical, a lot of people that that uh, don't care for it, that don't think it's a good idea, that think it's a waste of money or a waste of time. So we don't want to shy away from those questions. We want to press on those. And we figured there wasn't a better person to ask than, uh, than James. And, and we think that conservation, in the end, conservation will make sense. So even if we're asking hard questions, they will end up making sense. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the common questions that I've heard asked multiple times is some of these fields, do they really need a cover crop? So the one that that would affect probably the most acres would be uh, fields that still have uh, corn stubble after harvest. You know, it's almost like you have this nat, you know, this mulch or this thatch mm-hmm. down on the ground that's holding back soil from wind erosion and even, you know, when raindrops hit it, it breaks down those raindrops, they aren't, you know, 
shattering the soil and, and scattering it everywhere and then running off. So, but yet a lot of farmers will, you know, not only will they get uh, those acres put into cover crops, but they'll receive, you know, government cost sharing and stuff like that. So tax dollars to do that. Is that even needed? Sure. Um, so if you're not doing tillage, that's obviously better for, you know, soil erosion, mm-hmm. wind erosion than mm-hmm. tillage. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But even those those acres that are bare uh, in this last storm, in December we had a bad snowstorm here, and it was amazing how much black soil we had. Mm-hmm. And it even came from you know billonized farms that did had a, a poor established uh, cover crop that you know those farms were still no tilled or strip tilled, and they still had a lot of soil soil erosion. Mm-hmm. So. Every every little bit helps because when you have something growing that it, it can't mm. it can't go away, it can't blow away or or leach away. But also, if you have something growing, it's sucking up those nutrients, so then that crop can use it later in the year. So even though there is uh, a residue there, um, it doesn't mean that that cover crop isn't doing anything. That might be you know sucking up PK nitrogen, something that's that is going to be available later in the year that that dead you know uh dead stubble or Mm -hmm. is not is not going to use so absolutely Hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, that's that's a good answer um so then also um with that you know another complaint that we've heard is guys will apply their seed you know right after harvest and some will even do it you know late summer they'll do an aerial seeding or something like that and and uh uh, but it seems like more commonly guys are either applying it themselves with a drill or something like that um right after they're done harvesting and then they will uh you know within the acceptable parameters apply nitrogen you know so they'll go in and, and run a uh shank through the soil and put in and hydrous cutting channels into the soil, which then leads to more water erosion because and washes away a lot of the seed, the and cover crop it. seed that's you know already down on the ground but hasn't yet germinated, hasn't set a root to lock it in. It, have you heard that complaint before? Or? Uh, I would say if you're going to put nitrogen down, cover crops are like a a great a great use of nitrogen like anhydrous because nitrogen is water soluble and cover crops will help leach some of that like we'll use that nitrogen to grow Mm. i mean so basically what cover crops are doing is they're using that nitrogen when you don't need it in the fall they'll use it to grow and then when it decays and dies in the you know summer Mm -hmm. you're releasing that nitrogen again so I would not be too worried about like that, those small strips that you're putting on nitrogen. I, I'd say the biggest worry is if you're going to be putting on nitrogen in the fall, you know, why are you not using cover crops to help mm. protect that nitrogen so it stays there? Mm. Yeah. 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 Is, is there a, like what would be the optimal time? So, like if we went through a, a seeding, we just did a, a seeding, um, we'll say we used a drill. And, uh, so it's post harvest. When would be the best time in your opinion to then go ahead and knife in and hydrous on that? Oh field? gosh. So Bill and I are farmers. So we, I use anhydrous on my own farm. The best time to put on anhydrous. And if you have farmers listening is when you can <laughs> in the yeah, fall. Yeah. 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 Not really. Yeah, when you can, when you can put it on, when the weather is suitable because you have to be under 50 degrees for soil temperatures mm-hmm. so it doesn't uh, you know, go into the atmosphere and you can't be froze, obviously, mm-hmm. to get the knife in the ground. Mm-hmm. So there's really not that long of a window for that to happen. You're only talking like a 30-day window, which is probably November. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there any time in the spring when people are able to put it in, when it starts warming up again? Yeah, yeah, people put it on the spring. Um, same parameters you have to get it in. Typically, I think the rule of thumb is like 10 days before you plant corn. Okay. Hmm. So you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. So if you, obviously time is limited, right? Mm -hmm. But if you, if it, if none of that mattered and you had to pick between November or like late March into April, when would you be picking to plant? 
put put on or anhydrous. Sorry, uh, anhydrous. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, gosh, it's just it's just so many factors that I mean, I I don't I don't know if I can really answer the question yeah. because because you know fall anhydrous it's you have it on it's it's there there's stabilizers you can purchase so it's more available in the spring spring anhydrous you kind of have the same issues you could have it could not be available i mean pr- probably spring anhydrous is better in a pure if if you say weather isn't a mm-hmm. factor yeah um i'm not like i wouldn't say i'm an expert on it yeah I'm a more expert on probably cereal rye than <laughs> NH3. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, we'll, we put it on. So, you know, that's part of the game, but yeah. 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 yeah Cause we, we've, we've heard complaints about, uh, m- mostly just the knifing, not even the, uh, the chemical compound or anything yep. that you're putting in the ground. It's just, it's just creating those, uh, probably uh, those just things. more aesthetic complaints more than anything hmm. that maybe they have like a really great cover crop stand and then they're all like bummed out that they knifed it through <laughs> yeah uh, man yeah. okay well cool that's it, good to know you know another thing too is uh this isn't a complaint this is just like a, a curiosity here because i really don't know the answer to this one is is it best practice to do a like a rotation with the species that you're planting when you're doing cover crops like is it good to do rye one year and then do oats another year yeah it probably all depends on what your like your crop rotation is so a really easy crop rotation is rye before soybeans oats before corn Mm, and the reason being is um rye can have some aleopithic effects to corn which can hurt Mm. yield it also corn's typically planted earlier um so rye it's a more problem to kill the rye in a timely manner so uh, as a cover crop rotation i don't think like there's like any like real i mean you could plant cereal rye on cereal rye and cereal rye after your primaries and it's fine but we definitely have guys that switch back and forth between oats which kill in the winter um and rye which is a is is, is a cereal that comes up in the spring mm-hmm. yeah that, so you know here here's another um situation so we're kind of just hitting these hot hot button issues that you hear people talk yep. about whether good or bad you know not not as, you know some of them could be a complaint some are just questions people have and here's a here's a good question i heard once is when so this would probably be more for somebody who you know laid the seed down early so probably mm-hmm. did an aerial seeding um by say april you know guys are starting to get in the field again um, they could have a pretty solid stand of cover crop there. And uh, have you found or have you heard from maybe customers or whatever that that habitat is getting used a lot by like, say, pheasants, turkeys, uh, quail, maybe even deer for fawning, stuff like that? Yeah. Anytime that there's habitat, there's going to be, you know. It's going to bring the wildlife. You're going to bring wildlife in. And, um, you know, that's the one thing that we talk about it at, Iowa cover crop, but more like just a, you know, it's, it's, uh, an area that the pheasants can pack. It's an area that, you know, is cover for, you know, for them to go. Um, it's also cover for them to hide if they need to hide from something, mm-hmm. you know, that we talk about livestock and, you know, one of, one of the rubs that I have with CRP is it isn't, um, it isn't, helpful for like once that land goes into crp and it's essentially retired it doesn't go there's no livestock production Mm -hmm. so when there's livestock production what do you have to have there's like you had to have feed but you had to have water right Mm -hmm. and so if there's water that means that there's wildlife if there's no water there's no wildlife so sometimes people see a big crp field and they're like oh there's got to be all kinds of pheasants in there but if there's no water there's no wildlife. Yeah. And so if if you look at like the a lot of the big NRCS projects for livestock, a lot of them focus on water because if you can get water in paddocks and water in places, you'll have more hmm. you'll more have success. more wildlife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from what we understand, you raise cattle, is that was that your uh 
uh, main mode of farming before cover crop? Yeah. So yeah, my, my dad and I farm, we have a feedlot and, uh, we run cattle on, um, on grass, like mm. yearlings on, on grass. Awesome. And then Bill, his, his dad and him have cow calf herd and they also feed cattle too. And so like mm. we're using cover crops, both in our own, both in our own, um, operations but then we also have pasture and so like we we really speak the language well of like the the cow guy mm -hmm. if if you have cows in the state of iowa you absolutely should be using cover crops because it is essentially free feed um there are all kinds of incentives to plant cover crops you can be putting your cows out on um, out on corn stalks with cover crops. There's obviously no shortage of corn stalks in the state of Iowa, <laughs> you know? And so, um, we think that, you know, if you get in these livestock rich areas, they need to be planting covers to use because it's, it's basically free calories. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. So it does have quite a bit of grazing value then as that's coming up in the it's yeah, it's not like surely rye isn't like the, the premier mm -hmm. um, forage by any means. I mean, they aren't using uh, cereal rileage in, you know, high end dairy rations. I mean, they'll, they'll be putting them in dairy rations, but as like a cheap forage, but mm -hmm. to maintain a cow. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. It's perfect. You got to remember like ruminants. They just basically are designed to eat garbage. Yeah, yeah. They can, they can you know, digest and like, I mean, <laughs> uh, eat poop, man. It's just mm -hmm. like babies. Yeah, <laughs> and and like I I unloaded a group of cattle yesterday out of Colorado from the eastern slope, and you know those cattle basically just eat cactus and mm, what's that yeah. Yuma? What do they call that Yuma? Is that uh, the plant that grows everywhere? Uh, I don't yucca, know. yucca, yucca. Yeah. I mean, those things didn't eat anything. I mean, they yeah. raise. I mean, they have cows in nevada right that's a yeah, desert that's true and so that's a good point so sagebrush. like yeah sagebrush so cattle can ruminants can can uh you know rise a great it's it can a, suck calories on anything oh yeah and it just adds you know it just adds value not only to the state but adds value to land it's yeah mm -hmm. you know it's can you can you swath or bale um, any of the tonnage to uh, give to cattle as well? Absolutely, yeah. I mean that's been going on for a long time. You have rileage. You got uh, we sell a lot, we sell a lot of triticale. You know triticale is a, a cross between wheat and rye, so we'll we'll sell a lot of that, and that primarily goes into guys that are chopping it or baling it or grazing sure. it or you know yeah. What, so one of the things I'm thinking of this now, there's probably a kind of like a really important timeline you follow if you're going to turn cows out into a field to, yep. to graze on when like what time of year so well maybe we should look at it when are you seeding yep. versus when are you cutting the cows loose? what type of year when the when would you put the cows out there when you don't have the corn out there essentially if the corn's not there there can be cows out there mm, sure um, even if even if the cover crop's just <clears throat> starting to sprout or yeah oh. yeah i mean even if it's coming up i mean typically the rye, especially in the spring, will outcompete the cows. Like you got to have a really big stocking oh, rate really? for the rye okay. to, to. Typically, what we hear the complaints is, I couldn't get enough cows on to get to outpace the rye. Huh. Um, so then they got more work to kill yep. it off. In the, and the is, is that what most guys are doing in the spring? Are they spraying it or are they? Yeah. So so most people are spraying. I'm, I'm gonna come back to this this cow and rye thing because this is where I'm like super passionate about. Sure. So Bill has, Bill has this picture of his cows and it's, it's, um, he had rye behind his house for whatever reason he had, um, oh, he was doing a strip. I was doing a rye trial with practical farmers and okay, he yeah. had like a 40 with rye and a 40 without rye. And he's got this picture on us that he puts in presentations, but it's, he's got a couple hundred cows out there and you can see to like the the cows are all on the 140 that have the rye and there's no cows on the 40 without the rye. I mean, you could have put a fence in there and you <laughs> wow. would sit in there on, because like, you know, if, if you have something green to eat, it's yeah. February right now. Right. Yeah. If, if you have something green to eat or something brown to eat, like you're going to choose the green to eat. Yeah. I mean, the I mean, a cow will reach across the fence to eat something green. doesn't want your, you know, right. old trashy, stubble they right. want that green fresh stuff right yeah 
Now, here's a so I, I really love hunting. I love deer hunting. Mm-hmm. Have you heard any reports of deer hunters like taking advantage of that in the late season if they got if they got that sprout early enough that that uh, maybe they have some green going into you know December or something oh, like that? Yeah, I mean we sell food plot mixes and you get some of the brassicas that are green. Absolutely, hmm. or the clovers. You know they'll they you know so deer cover love crop the could be great for hunters then too. Absolutely, if you, if it's go good and, for hunters. Yeah. yeah, man. So that uh, we are going to save this question for then, but I'll just ask you here in the middle what. Who who are cover crops good for? Oh, yes. Cover crops are well, A, they're they're first off, they're good for farmers that want to improve their soil. So that's uh one. They're mm-hmm. great for farmers who have ruminants, have cows, because it's just economic boom for them. Sure. Uh but more importantly, cover crops are really good for our urban neighbors too. Mm-hmm. Because anytime that we can put um there's a huge reduction in um pk and nitrogen on cover crops so when those reductions in those nutrients in our water supply go to our urban neighbors then it's positive for them because they're getting a better drinking water yeah you know downstream so um that's the beauty of cover crops so we have had um, U.S. senators out here. We've had congressmen and women out here. And the, the, the really cool thing about it, this space, is um, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat. You can't say there's anything really negative about them. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you'll get a Democrat staffer and Republican staffer sitting right next to each other talking about how they can co-sign a bill, right? Yeah. And in today's... Uh, in today's society of everything's polarized, there's very few things that mm-hmm. both sides can get. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to say cleaner water is a bad thing. Absolutely. You know? yeah. 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 That is one of the great things about, you know, being in the conservation game is most people are going to be on your side at the end of the day. I mean, we may not agree necessarily on every point that, that is a part of that, but like, like James said, you know, in today's political climate, it was nothing unites that more than conservation issues. Yep. Is yep. there anything about the cover crop industry and like just the standard on how people are using them? Putting them, is there anything you would change if you could? Oh boy, um, I, I, I mean, I can complain about. Um, bureaucracy and <laughs> federal yeah, government none of that cost na- shares. There's yeah. none of that in agriculture. I mean, yeah, I'll <laughs> complain about that. But um, I'd say the biggest problem is just, you know, access to farmers to um, get cost shares to get put them on, mm. access to information. Um, you know, the, the problem with a little this industry, the probably the biggest problem is, is it's so tiny that it doesn't have a lot of like big agra pushing it, which is positive for us. But like mm. big agra isn't isn't really getting on board because margins of selling cereal rye are so tiny. You mm-hmm. can't sell tech agreements, and mm-hmm. you can't like cover crops don't require shiny pieces of equipment, right. and so like. You know, it's probably taken longer for adoption than what mm. really yeah. it needed to be. Farm mm-hmm. Bureau's not in D.C. just uh, asking for it at this point. Yeah, I mean, they're asking. Farm Bureau's asking. Um, but is Monsanto asking? Is, hmm. you know, is Bayer or whoever asking? I mean, they're they're starting to get on board because they see it cuts coming more on, like, the carbon end of it. But... Um, you know, it might not like none of the trade groups, they'll all, they're all say that they're really positive cover crops. Just like you said, you can't say no to, mm-hmm. to clean water, but you know, how hard are they pushing for policy to get changed? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. So, so you would like a little bit more weight on, uh, with the bigger companies putting a little bit more of their weight behind some of the cover crop. Yeah. But if you, you know, at the same time, this is a, like a budding field. If, 
you know, in, in your business, if I said, okay, 25% of, uh, the land needs to be going to native seeds, you'd say, okay, great. But then it's like, well, that's not possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there yeah. isn't enough, uh, you know, right. Indian grass or little blue yeah. stem or whatever those things are. And so just, just in that same accord, there's like probably, I think that the, like the companies will build supply chains that work. But if you said tomorrow, 50% of the, you know, tillable land in the United States has to be cover crops. Like there's no way it could actually get accomplished, right, yeah. you know? Yeah, no and way. so being slower is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, slower for cover crops is, is about, uh, growing at about a double pace. So it's like doubling every year. Yeah. So roughly, you know, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's not going to slow by any means. And since we started in 2014 to today, um, Planting green was like the craziest thing ever, like unthinkable, like only true hippies would be doing that, right? Wow. <laughs> like only- yeah. Doesn't you know, wear shoes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, um, uh, you know, that's the only people would be doing it. Well, today, like there's mainstream farmers doing it. Yeah. So yeah. it's becoming more acceptable and, um, and- that's a great thing because you get those farmer leaders that are doing it, then they're going to, other people are going to implicate, you know, like yeah. do it also. So yeah, yeah. it just became more mainstream. That's mm-hmm. a great answer. And I hope as you guys are listening, you are kind of taking it in, even if you don't own a farm, just that the public would understand that changes in agriculture that do cost money are positively affecting all of us. It, it um, most people are not out here to just take money and spend it for no reason. You know what I mean? People have a purpose yeah. with their lives. They're, they're trying to work for something and everyone wants to make money. But at the same time, what, how are you making money? Why are you making money? And one of the best things that we find is, are these, um, these different uh, efforts for conservation um, and health and just uh, longevity for our farmland, right? Yeah. Kent has said it before on the podcast, what... What value does Iowa even have if our soil becomes rocks? You yeah, know what I mean? We've got other, a couple nice rivers. Desert, and, you know, if we lose our topsoil, there's yeah, there's there's no reason to, to be here if we didn't have yeah. that. And, like, we don't want to alienate a farmer that is doing full tillage because that farmer will hopefully be a customer someday today. So, yeah, you know, true, yeah. uh, farmers want to do um, – They want to protect their investment. And, yeah, and they, and they want to do – do good. So I was at a, I was at a farm bureau thing and they were talking about telling your story. That was the big thing in agriculture here. Like, you know, three or four years ago, tell your story. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone says, you know, farmer, you know, if you meet someone on the plane and you tell them about your story and your farm that the general public will say, you know, farmers, you know, might be bad, but not this one guy I met on the plane, this guy, you know, he's, you know, he's my mm-hmm. personal, like that guy's doing everything right. I met him, right? He's yeah. a, he's a good guy. I trust him. Yeah. And so like, even if you are doing full tillage and there's nothing wrong with that per se, uh, do we think this practice would be better? Yes. But we, we understand that, you know, there's, it's a difficult and there's a learning curve and there's could be a financial curve mm-hmm. to adopt that practice. And if you're not mentally ready to adapt and not ready to do it, you're probably, if you know, if you don't want it to work, it's probably not going to work. Mm. And so, yeah. um, it's just no different than anything else. If you want it to work, you're going to make it work. Yeah. That brings an interesting point. What what farmers or who do you see has the most success with cover crops? Yeah. So we see, and we've seen this since the get-go, you know, we have um, two really good clientele bases. We have the 70-plus-year-old farmer who is well-established, is... Um, nearing an end of his career um, and wants to leave something is oh they financially can change they can financially can take hits they've hmm. they have equity in all their land they're well established so if they um, 
if they adopt cover crops, you know, they really don't care what they'll say at the coffee shop. They'll just do it. And, and they want to leave a farm that's in better shape. So we have that person. And then we have the 22 year old person who's fresh out of college, putting their mark on the farm. I'm not going to do it the way dad's always done it. I'm going to try something new for all these reasons and they're going to, they're going to make it work. Right. And they're like, mm-hmm. this is my mark on the farm. I'm going to do cover crops and strip till and be doing cool things. And this is how, like, I want the, the future of my farm is going to be. But w- what we're lacking is that, that farmer that is like in mid career who is <clears throat> the biggest influencer. So they're the influencer that has, um, they're the pillar of the community. They're doing all kinds of civic events. Uh, they have kids in school. Um, they also have the biggest debt load and the most mm-hmm. to lose if it doesn't work out because they don't have as much equity in. Mm-hmm. They started farming this way. They're mid-career. They have their equipment. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's the most difficult person for us to sell to is that person yeah. mid-career. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's a it's another bill essentially. It's another bill because they have bills, they have families, they have mortgages, yep. Yep. they have everything, and if if they have a failure, um, it's kind of hurt them. So how do we yeah. win them over? I mean, like how do we? I mean, obviously cost sharing would help. Yeah, cost share helps. I hate cost share. Um, Why? I hate the word cost share mm. because um, if if. If we are affecting as farmers, I'm going to talk to as a farmer. Mm-hmm. If if we have such a dramatic effect of drought downstream water, why should we foot all the bill as a farmer? I'm talking mm. as a farmer. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it's fair. Point. Instead of calling them cost share, why can't we call them, uh, you know, <laughs> <Payment>. profit? <laughs> Profit centers, yeah. right? I'm doing conservation as a profit center because it is affecting everyone downstream and it is a positive impact for them. Mm. Um, if So, you know, farmers are doing the societal work for their urban neighbors if they're putting on cover crops. They're doing it for free. Mm-hmm. They're doing a lot of work for them for free. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they're not just eating up their own carbon. It's everybody else's too. Yeah. It's everyone's and the water coming off their farm is, I mean, they can discharge it without any cover crops. So they can discharge it with cover crops in a better shape. Yeah. Now, why can't they get paid for it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not, they're not putting chemicals in that water just for fun. They're doing it to grow food for you in the city. So an, a cost of having that food should also be protecting that water yeah that, that is a really good point we have never even talked about that i really yeah. like that well and you know so this makes me think of something that has been suggested on our podcast before which would be carbon credits mm-hmm. i think that would be a wonderful way to reward farmers you know and the one that i've that i heard pitched was uh this was recently it's actually a podcast will be released at a much later date but uh it's with uh dr russ benedict from central college he's a biology professor mm-hmm. there and he talked about um, a carbon credit model that isn't just propped up in a federal, you know, so you have CRP and then you have, you know, some carbon credit program off on the side, another federal program. It would instead be something that is like, you know, a mandate put on large corporations that say, hey, you got to, you know, you have a huge carbon footprint because you're, uh, you know, making plastics or you're making whatever. And uh, so, you know, here's your essentially a fine, right? Mm-hmm. But that fine is going towards a farmer to cover all the cost for him putting, or even pay for a little bit of profit. You're going to use some of your ground to grow either cover crops, CRP, whatever. Yep. So maybe that could be a... Yeah, I mean, that's been like the cap and trade model. Um, probably, it's been talked about for a long I'm time. I'm probably not a good enough socialist to get completely on board on cap and trade. <laughs> but what, like, there's been all these private carbon programs that have come out. And as farmer, I'm, I'm talking as a farmer more than a seedsman, which is fine. But as a farmer, I get frustrated with these carbon programs because they'll say, okay, farmer, give me all your data for $10 an acre. Well, you know, here last year, two years ago, Bill Gates was on 60 Minutes. You know, he, mm-hmm. uh, Leslie Stahl asked him, you know, you got your private jet, you came here. 
you know, yeah, how yeah. can you talk to about a fair carbon, question. right? And he's like, well, I, I offset my carbon that my carbon costs $300 a, a carbon credit. And I was thinking to myself, I, I, I got, I can't swear here, but that's BS. Like to myself as a farmer, you mean they're paying me $10 and Bill Gates buying it for 300. Mm-hmm. Like, why yeah. can't I have two nine? Where's the money going? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's so many true, middlemen yeah. that want to get in on them on like we can go on and on about you know that's good. ESGs good and all this stuff, but um, I think carbon is important. But until the farmer gets the fair a fair shake on it, yeah, I don't think it's going anywhere. I that's something I've thought several times is is like I think. I think the end consumer should be paying for the farmer's extra cost of uh, of of helping, you know, with a healthy conservation and just like healthy. Um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm I'm looking for? Sustainability. Yeah. And, and I think that the end consumer should should be taking that if they want a product and they want to have good water and they want to have clean air. But then. Right now, our only solution is for the middleman to be the government, and uh, government is bad at being a middleman. They're oh. they're just not good at. It. They're slow, and 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 uh, they're good for making sure that we don't get attacked by neighboring countries. Uh, Maybe and, I mean the yeah. surveillance balloon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they might be up. Did you guys there. see the balloon here from your shop the other day? Yeah. <laughs> that could have been how you decided the fifty one forty nine. Who could shoot that yeah. balloon down? Yeah, but uh, I no, don't I, I don't want to go on a rant about no, government, but I feel like I, it's a fair point. Yeah. But at the same time, the answer can't be nothing either. You know, no. it can't. It can't just be a well, while. Government sucks. We can't. We can't do anything. You know, and because we do. I mean, these things matter. You know, they do matter. And and uh, you know, we could sit here and debate about climate projections and so forth because it's not now. I mean, I think we see some of the effects now, uh, but uh, to you know, for us to say, yeah, you know, forget it. We can't do it. That's not going to be helpful either. But I I like your point about how there is that person who's at the point of the rub, and that is that age group of farmers. And um, we we got to come up with something that's better for helping yeah. that person. Well, that's why I think it's not you know cost share. It's you know profit yeah. Yeah. profit yeah. center because if if that person now is making margin. And it doesn't even have to be a lot, but if they're making margin doing it, they're going to be doing it. And I think that's coming because this new round of, of, uh, you know, more money from FSA, more money to equip, you know, these are all, you know, government programs, more Mm -hmm. money with climate smart commodities. Like, I think that it will become more profit center, but there's Mm -hmm. all these dumb rules that once you've done it, you can't do it again. You know, just a lot of red tape, a lot of red tape, you know, uh, in, in instead, this is what I think is going to happen in this industry is instead of farmers before lying about, I didn't till my HEL ground, you know, my highly erodible, Mm -hmm. they'll have to lie and tell them, oh, I did till. So then they can requalify for a cover crop conservation mm-hmm. program. Yeah, like they're going to start, sure. they're going to start saying that, oh, I'm tilling again so they can get another round in. And huh. whether they are or not, you know, is, is neither here nor there, but it's, it's just interesting how. To dance know, around the rules, essentially. To, to dance around the rules to get uh, cost share monies. Is, yeah, I that's think what it's going to happen. The government's a bad middleman. Well, yeah. bad middleman. So, so if you're going to eliminate the government, the government, then. You know, so let's take away the middleman. So what do you have? You have the producer and you have the consumer. The consumer is going to have to, and that's the point of this podcast, the point of hopefully every podcast that exists is to educate in some way. we got to educate the consumer saying, hey, i got to be willing to support small farmers. i got to be willing to pay more for a quality product. i got to be willing to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, take the initiative because otherwise you got to have somebody with a, with a hammer making everybody – and that's yep. the government making yeah. it happen. That's why we get really excited about um, supply chain programs. Uh, we are in the ADM Unilever program, and it's administered through Practical Farmers. So if you're in Central Iowa, you sell to ADM, you get a a ten dollar credit, I believe it is, for 160 acres, 
if you sell to ADM, and that is for mayonnaise. So mm. all of Hellman's mayonnaise is sustainably procured. Their oils are. And that's a really cool program because you don't have to have, there's no red tape. If you put on cover crops, you basically apply, you know, you, you'll be able to get that monies, but then Unilever can go and say, all right, now we're buying sustainable oils, right? Mm. We're buying our oil that we've oh, put yeah. into mayonnaise yeah. is sustainable. And it, like, I, I, th- I think about it and I get really excited because if, if the company that is uh, you as a condiment you put on your hamburger is the one that is paying $10 an acre on 160 acres, like how about the other big ingredients of your hamburger, yeah. like the hamburger yeah. or the bun, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. You know? Those, that's real. That's what the, yeah, these giant companies, I mean, Hellman's not, uh, is, does Hellman's have a parent company? Yeah, uh, yeah that, that's what it is, Hellman's. Hellman's? Hellman's mayonnaise is Unilever. Okay, oh, okay. Okay. So, I mean, but imagine if like Coca-Cola got yeah. behind it and started paying farmers mm. and even, even if they weren't farmers in the United States, farming different ingredients, yeah. it, you know, it'd just be, it would be really cool to see these, these bigger companies throw their weight behind it. And, uh, something that, um, uh, companies do a lot better than the government is they're a lot more efficient and they're know? more nimble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they'll make that program work. And that's what we've seen with Unilever is they've really made it work and they've, they're growing it. So mm. that is really cool. That's great to hear. Yeah. And, and you said that's through PFI. Yeah. It's administered through PFI, but, um, yeah, it's, if you sell to basically, if you sell to ADM and, or any of the people that sell to ADM, like any of the cooperatives, you qualify for it. Man. So most of the state is, is in it. That is really cool. So that yeah. is really cool. I, I want to go back. Um, we don't have too much more time, but I want to go back to carbon credits uh, we've mentioned it several times, and uh, it, but it's not like a household word. What, what is carbon credits? Well, you're essentially receiving, you know, some companies that produce something. Like, let me tell you an interesting story. Once I heard, I was listening to a podcast, and I won't mention the company or mention the person, but the guy was railing on and on about <clears throat> climate change, which. You know, I'm a conservationist. I believe climate change is a real threat. I believe carbon emissions are a huge part of why we have a climate crisis that's coming down the pipe. But the guy railing on about it owned a huge company that produced fleece sweaters. Who needs a fleece sweater? Nobody needs a fleece sweater. There's like 50 (laughs) companies out there making fleece sweaters. And this guy's complaining about people that have one billionth of the carbon footprint that he does. And he's complaining about having a you know a climate problem. And he's complaining that, oh, that guy doesn't believe in climate change over there. It's like, yeah, that may be, and he should. But you are a much bigger contributor to that climate problem, right? And so the point of the story is you're looking at, okay, let's look at you know these large companies that have made, you know, grown a lot of wealth by using natural resources, by, uh, you know, using a lot of fossil fuels and emitting a lot of carbon into the atmosphere, greenhouse gas that raises the global temperature, you know, and then you have the whole runaway train climate change situation with melting ice caps, raising sea levels, mass migration of people and and wildlife and, and on and on. And so the idea is, well, there should be almost like a, a a taxing for that guy's company, right? Because he has such a huge carbon footprint, there should be this this way that he's got to pay for it. And so that taxing is done in the form of you pay, you buy carbon credits. If I'm going to emit this much carbon, I got to pay to have that much carbon taken back out of the How atmosphere. How does money fix carbon being put in the air? Well, you're buying, you're essentially buying acre, renting acres. On a, on say James's buying, ground, buying carbon, right? Yeah, you're you're paying James. You're buying the seed for him. You're paying you're paying him for his operational hours to manage some of his acres to pull in that carbon. Either mm. it could be, you know, it could be like your regular native grass mix. That maybe it's going to be just a perennial that's there all the time. Maybe it's going to be a cover crop. You know, uh, and so that company then says, okay, you've you know you've gotten your slap on the wrist for your carbon emissions. You paid your toll, you paid 
for those acres to take carbon because that's really the only i mean there's there's all kinds of uh, bioengineering going on right now to find other ways to extract carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere but we we can't beat nature right a tree and a blade of grass and you know a you know big blue stem and and uh you know uh, oats they pull out far more carbon for far cheaper than anything we can invent and and not only do they pull out carbon but they have all these ancillary benefits of soil health and water quality yeah they and you can just start naming them off exactly and so it not only has that, but it has societal benefits associated yeah. with it too. And and for those that you know, what is a ton of carbon? I think it's uh, you know one cubic uh, one. If you put a carbon on this table, it'd be one cubic foot by one cubic foot yeah, of carbon something or something like that. Yeah. Like that. Yep. So for one for one of those, they're paying three hundred dollars. Well, that's what, well, that's Bill, what Gates Bill Gates bought. Said, but yeah. as a okay. farmer, I only get paid ten. Yeah, and so um, so some private company in between there. The problem with cover crops and carbon is this: is so they're putting this carbon pipeline in. You've you know yep. Iowa, yep. you're all about it. Well, why is it successful? Why are they putting a carbon pipeline in? Because they can measure the CO two from ethanol plants, and mm-hmm. they're pumping it down into the soil, and. Um, it's a measurable gas, right? Mm-hmm. So they can put a valve on it. Yep. And they can seal it forever. And and they can see how much runs through the pipeline. And I'm not going to get into it if like you like it or not. It doesn't matter to me. But um, the problem with cover crops is some years you might get a ton of carbon on a cover crop an mm-hmm. acre. Another year you might only get 0.1 tons. So it's not very. And then how? Is it measured? Is it maybe some years you're going to go the opposite way? That's true. And so like over time, you're going to sequester carbon, but how do you measure how much carbon you sequester? Yeah, what are you actually going to get credit for? And that's like, that lies the value proposition of like when that person, I know there's companies working on it right now, figure that out. And it's not me because I'm just a dumb guy that knows how to sling seed. (laughs) But when somebody figures that out, then um, it's going to be a game changer because now every farmer or anyone that owns any land at all is a little carbon miner. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I mean, we're carbon miners already. I mean, that's what we're doing. And that's the why cover crops make so much sense because really the growing season on corn and soybeans in central Iowa is 120 days max. Right. And so we have another 130, 160 days of growing season. Mm-hmm. of to do something and mm-hmm. why the sun is free mm-hmm. i mean it doesn't yeah. cost anybody anything and so why not use that energy and put something back in your soil? very well said very yeah. well yeah. said and that's that, that is a great point you brought up about the pipeline where it's it's almost an unfair an unfair advantage yeah there. If I had little meters on my seed, yeah, oh my be. gosh, we'd be selling 10Q tax credits like it's our <laughs> the, job over the, here. The carbon pipeline wouldn't even be talking no, about. No, no. It, it, it probably wouldn't be worth, carbon wouldn't be worth anything. Right. We, so uh, another friend of mine that's in the seed business, we talk about this. And uh, we might be running out of time, but I got to No, it's good. It. This is a good conversation. I got to mention it because... Um, we got to give you time for your, uh, uh, literal, your literal beef that you have oh, with the recent <laughs> episode yeah. of... Okay, well... What one you on here? Because I got do, time do, for one. All right. Do this one right, first, right. and then so we'll do like, the next one. If you calc the products, so like Microsoft has a climate goal that they are going to be, their products are their products, like scope three emissions are going to be like neutral by 2030 or something. I right. forget what it is. Mm-hmm. So scope three is like the pro, like how, like if you buy a PlayStation, does Microsoft makes PlayStations? Uh, Sony, I think. Sony does. But I don't know. Okay. Microsoft makes Xbox. Xbox. Yeah. You buy an Xbox. Like, what's the duration of your Xbox? How much electricity does it take? Blah, blah, blah. And so, like, when, like, they want to be carbon neutral on your Xbox. Wow. Okay. So, think of that. So, like, uh, an acre of rye it gets harvested, and it's, um, you know, 15,000 seeds per pound, and you get, you know... 50 bushels an acre and every bushel weighs 56 pounds. Like all of a sudden you get like these massive multiples, right? So products of our products that I have a cover crop are like just little carbon sequestration deals. Right. And it's like, we always 
joke around is like if every company was as green as what we were like it'd be a problem <laughs> like we would be in like a major ice age we had to like burn tires just to get like carbon neutral right i mean like think, like like, like yeah, think yeah. Of, like like think of your carbon product deficit yeah you're selling like this little tiny seed that doesn't weigh anything yeah. and it has a, a a a shelf light like once it's in the soil it's there i mean like big blue stem like i don't know forever yeah, yeah. yeah. forever hundreds, like hundreds of years yeah eternity and yeah. so like the <laughs> think of how like much of a problem you guys are for climate change the other way like if you yeah, like true, we'd yeah. have to be worried about like woolly mammoths right <laughs> yeah. like, which on your last podcast they're bringing them back right yeah, apparently yeah, that's right yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a horrible yeah. horrifying yeah. thought so, so uh, we got to get to the other beef here. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I listened so, to your podcast about fake meat, which is complete garbage. And I just wish you wouldn't like, just go with it right away. But, and, man. For real, the record, to, I was the voice of reason in the room. Look, guys, I was just being controversial. If, I, if, if, if it's on the shelf, if there's synthetic and, and, and good meat on the shelf. I mean, I buy organic. It's more expensive. Oh no! Mm. It is it is nothing but like yeast and antibiotics, and it's yeah. it's just garbage. And if you really want to ch- solve climate change and mimic the buffalo, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to take native plants and ruminants. Yep, mm-hmm. and that is how you get major uh, carbon sink in the United States. Is those two mm. things? Yep. And fake meat is just going to have like there's it's missing one thing, and it's ruminants. So yeah. that that's my beef. That's my beef with Be- your with fake beef. With your fake beef, and it's just not healthy and no, garbage. Well, I'll probably get like impossible, like do it ceased and exist or whatever that's called. Yeah, yeah. I don't even. I don't I'll even be know so what proud. I'll have to frame it. Yeah, they don't actually. They're so broke. They don't have enough money to do that. Probably. Oh. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I agree with James on that one. And plus, here's the other thing too. I'm a I'm very pro small farm. You know. Uh, I think livestock are one of the main things that save small farms. You know, it's it's one of the things that can keep a guy in the game who doesn't have you know a vast land holding, and uh, uh, you know anything we can do to support them. And a lot of from the livestock business, I've seen a lot of growth going more towards an organic way of of, uh, of raising their protein and, and everything else too. So, yeah, one hundred percent there and. Uh, you won't see me intentionally. I guess I could get tricked, you know, in like a McDonald's drive-thru or something you would, like you'd that. Probably, you'd be able to tell her. Right what away. was I mean, that? We're already doing it. People go to, my wife loves Taco Bell. It's like her, it's like her guilty pleasure. And I hate Taco Pink Bell. Pink slime. But, but yeah, she, it's, it's not me. I keep telling her it's not me. And she's like, I don't care. It just tastes good. Uh, ugh. I, my, my wife used to like uh, veggie burgers and stuff like that. I, when you talk about telling the difference between taste, oh, no doubt about it. You ever I seen, take one bite of that, and it's like, what did I just eat? A shoe? You ever you know? seen Parks and Rec? Oh, yeah. So I've you've seen. got this famous character who's like the ultra conservative Ron Swanson who oh, loves yeah. meat. He's like a guy's guy. And then there's kind of like this 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 hippie, like uh, very conservationist-minded <laughs> guy. And so he, the, the conservationist-minded guy, his name's Chris. And he's like, I bet you, Ron. We could both make a burger. I'll make a veggie burger. You make a meat burger, oh. and you and we'll see who wins. And then uh, as soon as as soon as Chris takes a bite of Ron's burger, he's like, "Yeah, that's better because like, yes, <laughs> it's meat." And Ron calls salads the food his food eats. <laughs> that's right, yeah. man. Yeah, so. That's right. Oh, this is a great conversation, James. Thanks for yeah. yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming up. In. And if people want to, because I follow your Instagram personally yeah. and our uh, farms account follows your Instagram. Oh, very interesting. Who, who does uh, that? That's my wife. Ah, Megan. Yeah, take she does it. it. No, I don't take any credit. I don't even know. She gets after Bill and I for not posting enough. Yeah. Sure. I've Stuff. been after Kent recently for, we, we got to get more, some more, more uh, videos for YouTube footage. But, but here's what she'll be like. Why'd you post? Like sometimes she'll get after me because I'll post maybe some things I shouldn't post. Inappropriate <laughs> things. And you're like, well, you should, why'd you post that? Or why did you post four things in a row? You got to spread those out. You know, at least. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. 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 That that's, that's our realm. But, uh, if, if people wanted to get a hold of yep. you, if they wanted to talk to you about cover crops, if they just want more education, where can they see you? Yep. Where can they find yeah, you? Yeah, we have a website, Google Iowa cover crop. We should be <laughs> first one on the list um, or hopefully first one on the list. Uh, we have a Twitter at IA cover crop. We have Facebook, Iowa cover crop, follow us on there. We've got Instagram. Um, 
We don't have TikTok. We don't, you know, we yeah. don't want the Chinese to get all of our trade secrets. <laughs> so we're not doing that. <laughs> but, uh, man, we don't know how to run it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went on, I put our company on TikTok for like, for like two weeks probably. Did you do dances? How no, dare you, no, I just showed our dog a lot because that's what got views on oh, TikTok yeah. was just our, our farm dog coming around. And I would just show, I'd show like really interesting stuff about like cleaning seed, yep. like stuff you can't find anywhere else. And then uh, no views. And then I'd show just like a video of me petting my dog at sunrise and they're just like losing their mind over it. You know what I mean? That's what, that's what Megan says on Instagram and Facebook. She like stuff I think is going to be great. Like no one likes. And then like yep. the like the most bland, boring photo will get like just completely blown yeah. up. I don't know how it works. Our most watched reel on Instagram hurts my brain. It is the worst video I've ever taken. It's just Kent shoveling Sido's grandma. Is that what it was? Yeah. I just think it like was, for yeah. like 10 seconds. He's just shoveling it. <laughs> nothing exciting, no music, no nothing. Loud People like watching other people work. Yeah. That's what <laughs> it is. <laughs> Makes them feel better about their own <laughs> sad working. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, we had a really good time with you. Yeah, and thanks for coming up. We appreciate you. And, and everyone listening, Cover Crop, it, it is a big deal. It's, it's, it's a step forward. It's probably not where we're... I think it'll be a part of conservation for a very long time. It's not the only thing we're landing on. It's not the only thing in the works. But it is a very, very big part of it right now. And if you look at um, what's expected on the next farm bill, they're expecting to push Cover Crop. And that's for good reason. Uh, we appreciate what James and his... Uh, co-founder bill have done here and, and uh providing a good um they've supply made, chain yeah they've made they've made water they made soil yeah uh, better here in iowa yeah and, so and air we we've appreciated we've appreciated your time and and uh for everyone listening if you want to have something to do with conservation and you don't own land and you're not doing any cover crop that is okay because conservation happens one yard at a time